The scripture reading for today comes from Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. Good morning. Just get set up here for a sec. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes. Uh, a couple just uh, business matters, I guess, before we get started. Uh, a couple of reminders. Um, number one, uh, we sent out giving statements uh, in January. If you, uh, if you are giving to Sola Church and you didn't get a giving statement, please let me know. Um, we sent those to everybody uh, over email. Um, if you didn't get that, if you need that, if you're waiting for that, uh, please let me know. We can get that to you right away. Um, just wanted to remind you of that. Um, and then uh, we had our first Kingdom and the Nation series session uh, on Wednesday night with Michael Ware, um, which it was really great. Michael Ware is, uh, just did a fantastic job, um, brought a lot of experience of his own in politics and working through the political system to, uh, to help us understand what it looks like to engage in, uh, in the political system as Christians. Um, and so it was really great. We, it's, it's, uh, it was recorded. The video is available on our website. If you go to solo.church, click on resources. Um, it's just in the list with all the other sermons. I'd encourage you to take a look at that. If you didn't get a chance to hear uh, the sermons leading up to those uh, by Derek Kelsey and Rob and Bobby, um, I'd encourage you to listen to those as well and kind of take them as a whole. The next step uh, in this process as we talk about the kingdom and the nation, um, we're going to talk about uh, immigration um, and how immigration works, what it looks like. Um, we're going to try to dedicate some time to just stories, hearing stories from uh, some of the immigrants among us. We had uh, Last year we had Anthony Wanjiru come and share his story of immigrating from, uh, from Kenya. Um, he is right now, if you would pray for him, um, he is looking for work, um, and he has until the end of the month to find it. Um, otherwise, he, he will be deported. So uh, just, just keep him in your prayers. Uh, I know he's got several interviews coming up this week, and um, we're hoping he can stick around and maybe participate in our time. Talking about immigration, we're going to be working with North Littleton Promise. We also have Matthew Sorens, who I should have looked up his title. It's, he's the U.S. Director for Church Mobilization uh, for World Relief, which is one of the larger national um, immigrant and refugee organizations. Um, so uh, we're excited to have him come in. It was an opportunity that just kind of fell in our laps. Um, he's here in town doing a bunch of other sessions on Thursday and Friday, and um, North Littleton Promise was helping uh, to organize all of those sessions, and Matthew Sorens just told them, hey, I'm going to be there on a Sunday. Is there any church that would like me to come preach for them? And 
so North Littleton Promise asked us if we'd be interested, and, and we absolutely said yes, because he's, um, he's a great voice. Uh, uh, if you haven't read his book, it's called... Um, Welcoming the Stranger um, by Matt Sorens and Jenny Yang. So I'd encourage you to pick that up. Um, and then we'll be talking about uh, poverty after that um, and how poverty works, what systems are um, in place that help to alleviate or sometimes in some cases help to uh, systematize poverty. Um, and then we'll finish up with a ballot form where we just talk through uh, all the initiatives on the Colorado ballot. It's not meant to be like a candidate forum where we talk about candidates. It's more like here are the propositions and amendments and all of the different things that um, are common to our Colorado ballot that we can talk through um, and get some perspective on. Okay. Um, we, we, we talked about last night um, poverty and, and immigration and, and why these two. And um, the reason, like we could have picked, there, there's, there's a lot of different topics we, we could have chosen. We, we, we could have chosen uh, abortion. We could have chosen um, something more like economically related. We could talked about systems of economics, which would be super interesting for me. Um, we, there's, there's so many issues out there that we could, we could talk about education, um, uh, debt, you know, forgiveness, a lot of the things that, um, that are trending right now. Uh, but for us, with where we're at, with the people we're serving, um, two of the items that stand out the most are poverty and immigration. Um, they are focused on the vulnerable and oppressed in our communities and people that we are looking to reach out to personally. And so um, for that reason, if, if you want to know like what we think about abortion, we're happy to talk about that or education. Um, if you want to sit down and talk economics, like we can, we can do that. Um, we're not going to have a session devoted to it. Um, we, we had to kind of limit it a little bit. All right. Before we jump into Ecclesiastes, uh, we've got, can I get, Mark, would you and Rob mind handing these out? Uh, kudos to Mark Thompson. We've got these um, great sermon companions. Uh, I, I love these. Um, I never get to use them because um, I preach often enough that I, I never get any traction um, taking notes in them. Um, but uh, I, think, I think Mark did a great job. You'll see each of the passages uh, uh, laid out. And then at the front, we're not going to do this this time. You remember last time with Philippians, we actually took um, one service and we read through the entire letter to Philippians and then talked about it a little bit. We're, we're not going to do that with Ecclesiastes, one, because um, if we did that, it would, it would kind of take up our whole time. Um, but I would encourage you to take this. Uh, it's in the immerse format, which means there's no, uh, there's no chapter verse divisions. Um, it's nice and clean. It's formatted like the poetry that's in there is formatted as poetry, um, you know, stuff like that. So I would encourage you if you could set aside, you know, maybe an hour, just sit down and read through the entire um, book of Ecclesiastes. Um, that would be a great preparation for this next uh, series that we're jumping into. All right. Hopefully you got one of those if you want one. As we jump into Ecclesiastes, one of the reasons we, we like this book, um, and, and let me say this before I, I get into that, it's, it's very different having come through 
uh, a different understanding of how to read the Bible. Remember last summer we talked about, before we got into uh, uh, our summer fun series, we talked about how to read the Bible and how to interpret the Bible. Um, and especially like a lot of um, what the Bible is doing, how the different books of the Bible work together, how the genres interplay, um, that we're not coming to it just as like an instruction manual, picking and choosing little passages that we can then pull out. Because I remember distinctly like when I was in high school and having to put together some sermons for preacher boy classes, coming to Ecclesiastes and grabbing, you know, like two are better than one and a threefold cord is, is not easily broken and preaching that um, just straight out of the verse um, and ignoring the overall context of Ecclesiastes. Um, and that was kind of my approach to the Bible back then that I could just come, grab whatever passage I want, read it straightforwardly, and then, you know, and then make some conclusions from that. When we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, and in fact, Ecclesiastes is one of the more honest books in the Bible because it involves so much wrestling. See, we try really hard um, to make sense of the world around us. This is not just a Christian thing, right? Um, everybody is trying to make sense of the world around us. Um, and, and we run into certain things that um, that are really frustrating when we try to make sense of the world. One of the, one of the mistakes that we make when we try to make sense of the world, and this is common, it's not just Christians, it's unchristians as well, um, we act like the world operates under a certain set of rules. Okay? We act like the world operates under a certain set of rules. So, so let, me, let me give you an example of this. Um, Scott Walker, who is the uh, former, I'm going to come back to the big idea, the former governor of uh, Wisconsin, um, tweeted this out. Graduate from high school, get a job, get married as an adult, then have a child. Follow these rules and research plus logic shows that you will live a life free of poverty. We should teach this success sequence over and over again. Okay? We we approach life as if there is a set of rules, and if you follow those rules, then the outcome is determined based on your following those rules, okay? Um, I think if you pressed Scott Walker, he'd be willing to like, oh, okay, of course there's exceptions. But, um, but when we phrase it like this, we're acting like, you know, if, if you're in poverty, what's, what's the conclusion then? You didn't follow the rules. If you had just followed the rules, you wouldn't be in poverty. And so all of a sudden now, um, the world doesn't quite work according to our, world, our, our rules. We, um, we're not sure what to do. And the truth is, like, if you look at it statistically, um, there are more people in poverty that followed the rules than didn't. Okay, so, um, so we kind of run into these problems when we try to interpret the world um, as a set of rules. Like, we could add some more rules, like um, don't have cancer. Um, don't have a child with a debilitating disease. Um, don't lose your job when the economy tanks because of all the uh, bankers that bet too high on mortgage subsidies and all of that, right? Like, like there's, there's all of these extra rules that we end up having to add. Um, and the reality is you, you cannot predict the outcome, okay? Um, the outcome is out of your... I'm not saying these are bad things, okay? So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, hey... Um, you know, don't, um, you know, have, have children before you get married. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't get a job. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the world doesn't operate this simply, okay? Um, 
Donna Rotuno, um, who's Harvey Weinstein's lawyer. If you're familiar with Harvey Weinstein, um, he's been uh, accused by, I think it's over 100 now, um, women for assault, right? And he's actually under trial uh, for two of those. Um, so there's, there's hundreds, like over 100 women that have accused him. He's actually on trial for two of them. Uh, Donna Rotuno is his lawyer who's re representing him. Um, in an interview with uh, the New York Times, Times, the, the reporter asked her, have you ever been assaulted? Um, and her answer was no. Um, and there was this long pause. And then she added, um, because I would never put myself in that position. And it, you, you should listen to the interview because it's just like the reporter um, asked the question. Um, she answered it no and could have left it there because there's this long pause and then she just had to insert because I've never, I would never put myself in that position. And you just hear like there's another pause and then the reporter's like, wait, wait. It's, it's like we, we act like the world operates under this certain set of rules. And if, if, you do, if you obey all the rules, then you can save yourself from these kinds of dangers, right? Um, as if, you know, if you, if, if you were assaulted, then you weren't following, you put yourself in that position. Um, and if you just, you know, would, would have acted differently, you could have avoided that situation. We act like the world operates under a certain set of rules. And all of a sudden we find out that, man, it doesn't. Um, and, and the problem is there's some people that like the rules worked for them. And so, and so it's easy to look at them and think, oh, maybe the rules do work and they think the rules work. Um, and then we run into these situations where the rules just break down. The second problem we have when we try to uh, make sense of the world is we tend to find our identity in our pursuit for meaning. Okay. We tend to find our identity in our pursuit for meaning. And our culture tells us we're supposed to find meaning in fame, in fortune, in a legacy, in family. Like there's, there's all of these different things that we're supposed to be finding our legacy in, um, our, 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 our sense of meaning in, um, and we place our identity in those things. We place our identity in, in making a lot of money, right? Um, and Ecclesiastes comes along and just burst that bubble by saying, listen, doesn't matter how much money you have, you're still going to die. Steve Jobs was one of the richest men who's ever lived, and he could not beat prostate cancer. Like, this is one of the reasons why, like, I, I, I believe that we don't have a cure for cancer, because if, you know, if we did, I think Steve Jobs would be able to buy it, right? Um, the rich, one of the richest, you know, most powerful, famous men in the world could not um, save himself from prostate cancer. All of what, what did that fame and fortune do to protect him? Um, Kobe Bryant, I mean, this is, this is a really recent one, um, was killed in a helicopter crash. Um, and if you're wondering, like, like I was wondering, um, why is he flying in helicopters all over the place, right? Um, he did an interview where uh, the reporter asked him that, like, why do you use helicopters? He, he, would, he would use helicopters every day. Um, he, would, uh, he would go in the morning to, um, to practice and work out and do all his training and stuff, um, and then he would take his helicopter back. Um, and what he told the reporter was, what I found was um, if, if I had to sit in L.A. traffic, I could not be present for my children. Um, like those two things just didn't work. And so he used the means that were available to him so that he could be the one that picks his kids up from school, that is at their programs, at their games. Like he could be a present father. And so this, 
The, the irony of it is that this method of being a good father all of a sudden now turns around and is, you know, is, is the method by which he, he and his daughter die. All of the fame and fortune couldn't, and this is not a condemnation of what Kobe was doing. It's just saying like, you can, you can invest all your effort um, in, in being the best dad you can, and ultimately you don't have the control. We like to think we have the control. Our culture looks for meaning and fame, legacy, fortune, family, all of these different things. And then what, what, what we find is we come up empty. Um, I, was, I was telling my, my kids, we were watching the Grammys the other, uh, uh, the other week, a couple weeks ago, um, and Billie Eilish won like five Grammys. Um, and if you watched her, once she got to the fifth Grammy, which was for, I think it was for best album, um, you can see like the camera is on all of the, all of the nominees, right, as they're getting ready to announce it. And she starts mouthing, please don't be me. <laughs> please don't be me. There, this is like, this is her first. She, she also won um, Best New Artist. Um, and there's this sense of, if, if I win all this now, where am I going to go from here? Like the tyranny of success. Um, and Billie Eilish just released a new song called um, Everything I Wanted. Um, and, and, and it says, uh, I had a dream. I got everything I wanted. Not what you'd think. And if I'm being honest, it might have been a nightmare to anyone who might care. We have this idea that if I accomplish all my goals, if I, um, if I achieve fame, um, if I'm successful in my career, if I do all of this, then I'll find my meaning. And then here comes this person who at the age of like 18, she, she's 18, right? Um, has broken onto the music scene and set all these records and won five Grammys at her first Grammy Awards. Um, and, and she's coming back with a song that says, um, I had a dream that I got everything I wanted and actually kind of turned out to be a nightmare. Because now she can't go anywhere anymore. Like there's, there's a distance between um, the friendships that she had. Um, there's this tyranny of success, which like we listened to uh, AJR, one of my kids' favorite bands, um, and their album Neo Theater, which is like their third album. Um, it's all about like, um, I, I don't, like we were so successful with that other album. I don't, I don't know how we're going to keep this up. Like there's all this pressure now and, and maybe, maybe we should hold off releasing this album. Maybe we should wait until it's better. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, and they achieved all their goals and then all of a sudden they've, they found themselves empty, right? Um, and they don't know what to do with it once they achieve it. Um, the Good Place, uh, just, just finish that. I don't, want, I don't want to spoil it too much. Um, but the, the, like the idea as you're watching it is um, there's this meaninglessness unless you have relationships. Um, and then it gets towards the end. And just to be really vague, relationships aren't enough either. Okay? So like in the way that they're designing heaven, um, ultimately, like there's, 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 nothing, there's nothing worth staying around for. There's no actual meaning there right? So we, we find our identity in the pursuit for meaning. We place our identity in all of these different things, in career, in family, um, in money, um, in fame. And then once we actually achieve those things, we come up empty. We chase after him, chase after him, chase after him. And what Ecclesiastes comes along and says, it's all vanity. The word there is, is hevel. It's like breath or smoke or vapor. If you think about smoke, 
Like it looks like a physical object, but when you go to grasp at it, what happens? Like you, you come up empty. You go to grasp at that vapor and you, you, know, you, you can't get your hands on it. And so Ecclesiastes, the author, is coming along and saying, it's van- all of it is just hevel. It's like smoke that you try to grasp onto it and you just keep coming up empty and then it's gone. Hevel, hevel, hevel. And sometimes this world just feels meaningless because all the things that we're looking for meaning in, all the things that we're wrapping our identity around, we go to grasp at it and we come up empty. And it keeps happening. I was, uh, one of the best um, expressions of this, I was watching, and this is probably surprising, I I was watching BoJack Horseman on Netflix. And... um, He's visiting with someone, and they're having this deep conversation um, about, and, and if, you, if you know the show, it's all about him trying to find meaning in his own life and just continually coming up empty. Um, he has attachment disorder, and every time he gets close to somebody, he sabotages it by being a horrible human being, um, and, and he can't find acceptance anywhere, and he goes to visit with someone who wants to talk to him, um, and as they're talking about just how random and meaningless and hopeless the universe is. She says this, the truth is none of it matters. And the truth is it all matters tremendously. It's a wonder that any of us get out of bed at all. And yet we get out of bed. The truth is none of it matters. And the truth truth is it all matters tremendously. It's a wonder that any of us get out of bed at all. And yet we get out of bed. This is where Ecclesiastes comes along to meet us. Like it feels sometimes like nothing matters and it feels sometimes that everything is just too weighted down with importance and we just don't know what to do with it. And sometimes for some people, it's just too much to even get out of bed in the morning. And yet somehow we just keep getting out of bed and dragging ourselves through this, right? Ecclesiastes is going to meet us there. And it's not going to offer us really easy answers. Um, so we're going to look at really quick uh, just a, one of the Bible Project videos that helps to frame Ecclesiastes with some of the other wisdom literature. If you think of wisdom literature, your mind usually goes straight to Proverbs, right? You think of wisdom, you think of Proverbs, and, and there's all of these uh, you know, little truisms um, that make so much sense, and, and it feels like this is how the world works, right? Um, and then you start trying to live it out and what happens? Um, it doesn't always work out. You know, it's like, it's like Scott Walker's rules. Like you follow the rules and then it doesn't, it doesn't quite work out. In fact, Bobby dirt for our call to worship, he read from Psalms. And if you were paying attention, um, it talks about like, uh, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. And it goes on and on. Um, And it feels like, okay, so if I want to be successful and prosperous and flourish in this world, then I must need to follow after righteousness. And it's like we follow after righteousness. If we don't get those things, we feel like the system's broken, or maybe we did something wrong, or maybe there's guilt and shame involved where maybe I'm not doing something right and God's not blessing me because of it. And Proverbs sometimes makes us feel that way where we come to it and there's really good advice there. There's really good Proverbs, really good nuggets of wisdom, um, but it feels like they just don't work out all the time for us. 
And so Ecclesiastes is going to come along um, and act as kind of a, a balance to Proverbs to say, yes, here's, here's how the world is designed to work. Here's how Lady Wisdom and, and this, this, um, this wisdom that suffuses all creation because of its creator, here's how things are supposed to work, but everything under the sun is broken. Like that, that, that phrase under the sun over and over, you see, uh, like on our, um, on our graphic, on our, on your book, there's that, there's that sunlight and there's that vapor coming up off the ground. That's where, that's where the, um, that idea comes from, right? Um, everything under the sun, that, that phrase under the sun in Hebrew literature, um, refers to creation. And what we know from Genesis is that creation was very good when God created it, Right? And Ecclesiastes comes along and bursts that. He says, everything under the sun is vanity. It's hevel. It's smoke. It's vapor. You try to grasp it, and, and you come away with nothing. So we're gonna, uh, this video is going to help us to orient Ecclesiastes within the other uh, parts of wisdom literature um, so we can kind of understand what it's doing in the context of uh, the, the broader story of God. So um, let me show you this, and then we'll continue. We're exploring three books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And they're all asking the question, what does it mean to live well in this world? So we've looked at Proverbs, who you could think of as a bright young teacher. She's all about pursuing wisdom, an attribute of God that's woven into reality. And she's optimistic that if you use wisdom, you will build a successful life. But then we come to Ecclesiastes, who's more like this sharp middle-aged critic. And he says, You think using wisdom will bring you success. You'd better think again, because life here under the sun is meaningless. And that's a phrase he uses a lot in this book. But to understand this book, we have to realize first that we're hearing two voices. So first there's the teacher, and we've been calling him the critic. He's the main voice in the book. But he is introduced to us by another figure, the author. And he's the one who's collected the critic's words and then at the end of the book summarizes everything and gets the final word. So why does the author want us to hear from the critic? Well, he wants to turn your view of the world upside down. And he's going to let the critic explore three really disturbing things about the world. And we should warn you, these are pretty intense. Yeah. So the first is the march of time. Or as the critic says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth, it's been here long before us and will be long after. No one remembers people from long ago and all the people yet to come, they too will be forgotten by those who come after them. So on a cosmic scale, you and I, we are just a blip. Stars are born and then they die and form planets which orbit new stars. And those planets, they change over time and eventually burn up. And amidst this cosmic backdrop, my entire existence is like a blink in time. Which leads to the critic's second disturbing observation that we are all going to die. Humans face the same fate as the animals, death. All people, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, those who offer sacrifices to God and those who do not, they all share the same destiny. All this activity and madness, then we all join the dead. Man, this book is depressing. And so is the final disturbing thing for the critic, and that is life's random nature. 
So in Proverbs, life isn't random. There's a clear cause and effect relationship between doing the right thing and being rewarded. But the fact is that life doesn't always work that way. The critic has observed a glitch in the system. He calls it chance, or in his words, The race doesn't always go to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food always come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the educated. Time and chance happen to them all. So his point is that you can't really control anything in life. It's just way too unpredictable. So if I want to master life, then you're setting yourself up for a fall. Now throughout the book, the critic uses a metaphor to tie together all of these disturbing ideas. Nearly 40 times he says that everything in life is hevel. It's a Hebrew word that means smoke or vapor. Like smoke, life is beautiful and mysterious. It takes one shape, and before you know it, it takes a new shape. And smoke looks solid, but try and grab it, it'll slip right through your fingers. And when you're stuck in the thick of it, like fog, it's impossible to see clearly. Now our modern translations have lost the metaphor, and they usually translate hevel as meaningless. But if you read closely, the critic isn't saying that life has no meaning, but rather that its meaning is never clear. Like smoke, life is confusing, it's disorienting and uncontrollable. So what are we supposed to do with all of this? Well, surprisingly, the critic first of all acknowledges the perspective of Proverbs. He says it's a really good idea to learn wisdom and to live in the fear of the Lord. Really? I mean, he just said that doesn't guarantee success. But he knows it's the right thing to do. But secondly, and more often, he says that since you can't control your life, you should stop trying. Learn to hold things with an open hand because you really only have control over one thing, and that's your attitude towards the present moment. Stop worrying, he says, and choose to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, or the sun on your face, or a good meal with people that you care about. The simple things in life. Yes, and both the good things and the bad, because both are rich gifts from God. And that's the surprising wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Listening to the critic is painful and can lead you into some dark places. And that's why the author speaks up at the end of the book. He doesn't want you to lose hope. He wants to make you humble into someone who trusts that life has meaning even when you can't make sense of it, that one day God will clear the hevel and bring his justice on all that we've done. And so he tells us that the proper response to all of this is to fear the Lord and keep his commandments. And that's the book of Ecclesiastes. Now there's one more voice in the Bible's wisdom literature, and that's the book of Job. And he will bring us the final, much-needed perspective on our journey into wisdom. I would encourage you to uh, go and watch those other ones. The ones on Proverbs and on Job are great. Um, and help to frame you know, wisdom literature as a whole in the Old Testament. But I want to go ahead and take a, a minute or two um, and just get us ready to jump into this book. So kind of give you some things that, uh, that you can expect. So uh, first off, 
what are we going to find when we get into there? So the genre of, uh, of Ecclesiastes is kind of hard to nail down because he's kind of all over the place. There's stories, there's proverbs, there's stuff like that. Um, the genre is going to be uh, framed wisdom autobiography. <laughs> framed wisdom autobiography. I can't even say it right. Um, but like you said, there's, uh, there is an author who's going to introduce the teacher or the critic or the Hebrew word, there's the, the kohelet. Um, so there's, there's going to be an introduction. There's going to be kind of the autobiography of the teacher, and then the author is going to close it all. So, um, so we're going to have this. That's why we call it this framed wisdom autobiography. And he's going to use four types of writing as he goes through that. The first one is reflection. It's just stating an observation or truth and then pondering and evaluating it. So an example of a reflection would be the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. All right. Just a basic observation that we're going to sit and ponder for a while. Okay. There's the proverb. Okay. So, so Ecclesiastes contains Proverbs, which is one of those pithy, highly stylized statements of a truth about life. You're used to these from, you know, reading through Proverbs. Um, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. Okay. Um, just a highly stylized statement of a truth about life that we're meant to go away and ponder for a little bit. The third type of writing is the anecdote, the anecdote, a short story told in order to illustrate a principle or, or a truth of interest to the author. I should say these are not, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing this from Zach Eswine, his book, uh, uh, Recovering Eden, the Gospel According to Ecclesiastes. Um, but an example of an anecdote is, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. See, and it's like a short story that's meant to illustrate a point. And last is the wisdom instruction, a teaching which the author seeks to persuade his reader toward or away from a certain course of behavior or thought. The wisdom instruction. So, for example, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. It's a wisdom instruction where the author is trying to convince you of a certain behavior. Okay? So these are the four types of... Uh, uh, the four types of writings that we're going to run into in Ecclesiastes, reflection, proverb, anecdote, wisdom, instruction. And he just kind of puts all of these in um, kind of all over. the. As you work through the book, it, it's just going to be peppered with um, different types of writing as you go through. The author is also coming with some assumptions. So I, I want to walk through these assumptions. And again, this is coming from uh, um, Zach Eswine. Uh, the first assumption is that God is creator. And so often we think of God, um, like our, our frame of reference for God is more as a, a redeemer or a savior. Um, and he's coming with the perspective of God as a creator um, and the one who governs the seasons and the circumstances of our physical reality. God is the creator of all things. He is the one um, behind the curtain managing everything. Secondly, um, the idea that we are human. We set aside our credentials as those who follow God and humbly remember that we too are human beings along with others. We are creaturely. 
And we don't pretend that we, we, we don't question or feel or think or misfire. We come along with all of our questions and our wrestlings, and that's part of what it means to be human. Third, uh, it's going to be an inductive process, which for some of us is, is kind of weird. Like some of us really like, I remember when I was really uh, early on in ministry, I liked Paul a lot. I liked the, the, uh, the letters of Paul um, because they were very logical. Okay, so he would develop an argument and he'd say, if this is true, then this is true, then this is true. And it was deductive reasoning all the way down. And it was, you know, it was valid, it was sound, um, and it made sense. And you could make universal claims based on it, right? It's easy to come to deductive reasoning. It's a lot harder to come to inductive reasoning, where a lot of times it just takes experience to think inductively. And here, um, the author of Ecclesiastes isn't just delivering like, well, if this is true, then this is true. He's like, here's what I've observed. Um, and here's, here's what I've seen. I saw this and this and this, and it was all vanity. It was all pointless and meaningless. Fourth, um, there's a hospitable nature to it in that we are hospitable toward negative thoughts and emotions. We resist minimizing and exaggerating things in order to make them what we want to be. Um, it's very easy for us when people are wrestling or struggling or confused um, to offer platitudes, to offer deductive reasoning, um, to offer simple truth statements. Um, and a lot of times what we're trying to do is we're trying to banish negative thoughts. We're trying to avoid negative thoughts. And Ecclesiastes is saying we're hospitable to those. They can come right in and, and be at home and we're going to sit with them for a while. We're not going to offer easy answers to them. Um, we're going to acknowledge the fact that sometimes the world doesn't make sense. It's poetic. Um, you know, when, when you look through it, it, it fits really well with the other books of poetry. It's, uh, it's stylized. Um, a lot of times, um, we, don't, we don't like poetry so much because poetry, like, I, I don't know if, if, you, if you read a lot of poetry, but um, I always liked Robert Frost because he made a lot of sense. Um, there were uh, like I, I never really got into like William Carlos Williams, and I don't understand what it is about a wheelbarrow sitting out in the rain. Um, like it, it, some of those poems don't make as much sense to me, right? Um, and we, when we come to poetic language, it's a lot easier for us. We prefer didactic language in our religion. We prefer like a man of God standing up front, delivering what God wants us to hear, and being very definitive about it. Um, we, we don't like somebody getting up and we have to kind of wrestle with what they're saying. Like, I'm not sure what he's telling me right now, right? Um, and Ecclesiastes is very poetic in that um, the, what, 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 it's, what it's teaching us isn't right on the surface. We have to sit and wrestle with it for a while um, in order to come away with, um, with any truth. And last, and, and one of my favorites, um, it's local. We begin to recover a sense of God's provision for our joy in the ordinary. Um, so often we look for meaning, we look for identity, and we, we think that we're going to get it if we, um, like if we expand our experiences. Like, like we're going to do the whole eat, pray, love thing and go to India and have this spiritual experience. Um, and, and then I will find meaning in life. And, and Hollywood and our culture teaches us that, hey, we, just, we, we need to go beyond where we're at right now. We need to get out of here and, and 
and experience something. And don't get me wrong, like I, I, I love the idea of experiencing the world and experiencing other cultures. But when we, when we think that we're going to find our meaning there, um, we end up losing the meaning that God has for us. Um, so often in Ecclesiastes, we're going to see, hey, you know, it's, it's good to work with your hands. It's good um, to enjoy a meal. It's good to be together with your family. Like these very simple things. Um, and Zach Eswine in his book, uh, uh, Recovering Eden, he talks about the song, uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, which if you grew up, you know, singing out of the hymnal, you probably remember, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'm not going to sing it. Look full in his wonderful face. And what? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And what, what, um, what Eswine is saying, based on Ecclesiastes, is actually it's the other way around. Okay, The things of earth will all of a sudden be imbued with new meaning because you are seeing them now in the light of a good creator who loves you and wants you to enjoy those things right? It's not that all of a sudden, like, I have this monk-like existence where I don't experience joy and enjoyment in food and family and laughter and, and, and all of these things. It's that all of a sudden they have a new meaning because they are meant to direct me back to a good God who loves me, who has said, like, I want you to enjoy these things. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will actually gain new meaning in the light of his glory and grace. You will actually be more able to enjoy them. They will be more profound to you. We are not looking for this ethereal, spiritual existence where we're going to go away and kind of live away from all of God's good gifts that he's put in this creation. It's that God is making them good for us and wants us to enjoy them. That's where we're going in Ecclesiastes. I'm really excited about it. The, the big idea, Toth, would you mind going back to that big idea slide? I don't want to skip all the way back to it. I put it in the wrong order. Um, we learn to believe that there's nothing better than to have a place to inhabit, a thing to do in that place, and some people in that place to share it with. This is, this is what we get from Ecclesiastes. Our culture is going to tell us, hey, you... You, you need bigger experiences. You need more money. You need, you need a job that fits all of your passions and goals, and otherwise you, you can't be satisfied, right? Are you doing what you are passionate about? And I, I feel like I want to be a teacher again. Um, and right now, that's not how. And so it's very easy for me to watch all these movies that tell me that if you're not doing what you're really passionate about, you can't really be satisfied in your life. And I should, um, I should sacrifice uh, my family's well-being to go do what I love, right? Um, and, and maybe that's worked out for you, um, but that's not everybody's experience, right? We learn to believe that there's nothing better than to have a place to inhabit, a thing to do in that place, and some people in that place to share it with. These are earthy things. They are local things. Um, they are things that God has given us um, because he loves us for, for our good and his glory. That's where we're going in Ecclesiastes. Um, it's going to remind us that, hey, we don't have all the answers, and it's okay to struggle through that. Um, but ultimately, we come back to the truth that God is a good God who wants us to enjoy what he's created and the people that he's placed us together with. So we're going to go back and be reminded. See, at, at the end of Ecclesiastes, it says that um, one day um, God will come and judge all things. Um, and in the video, they talked about one day all that hevel will be cleared. God is going to clear out 
all of the smoke and the uncertainty and the feelings of meaninglessness, all of that's going to be cleared away. And we have confidence that it's going to be cleared away um, because Jesus died and rose again on our behalf, right? Because Jesus has been given all authority and he's promised to return and, and restore justice and clear out all the hevel. And so we go back and we take very earthy things, bread and wine or juice, um, and we eat them. Um, as a reminder that God is at work and he's going to come back and clear out all of that worthlessness, that meaninglessness, all the hevel. So let's pray. Um, We'll take the bread and the cup and then we'll continue the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, We thank you for the wisdom that it provides. Um, We thank you that um, in the midst of meaninglessness, um, in the midst of that that pursuit for identity and purpose, um, we know where our identity lies. Um, We know where our purpose is. Um, And so we we are continually directed back to uh, you as the source of all good um, and the things that you've provided as means of grace in our lives to... uh, Uh, to fellowship with you and with each other. God, I pray that you would help us today um, as we take the bread, we dip it in the cup to be reminded um, that you you are going to return and you are going to clear out all of the meaninglessness, all of the uncertainty. Um, You are going to restore justice and make the world work as it's supposed to again. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.